laugh at this next part. In a world of political correctness and cancel culture, two comedians have risen up to prove that with the right angle, anything can be funny. This is You Can't Laugh at That. Who writes these? Huh? We should have this person locked up and looked at. Live from Golden Ox Studios in Cleveland, Ohio, it's Steve Murs and David Horning on this week's episode. Compliment first before insulting. Like, don't, oh, yeah. like, don't. That has gotten me into trouble. I could actually talking about this is like PTSD because I can. I'm remembering sets where I went up there, high energy, thinking I was mm-hmm. going to be able to get a pop out of them right away. Doing either a white, doing a race joke, either any Middle Eastern people here or any white people here, having it fail, and then going into crowd work, doing something mean, and then just now you're in a hole. Yeah. Now you're literally digging your way out of a hole. I can remember sets that have, and I've learned that lesson from there of like, okay, if the race shit doesn't get them, then you got to be fucking nice. You got to be warm and you got to be Mr. Likeable mm-hmm. and then try to get back in your material. Hey, everyone, before you start this episode of You Can't Laugh at That, be sure to rate us on your podcast platform of choice. Make sure you give us five stars so that the algorithm works in our favor so we can get this podcast out to more people. Because the point of this podcast is to prove that anything can be funny. So whether you're trying to write a joke about this topic or you're having a hard time finding the humor in any given situation, we want to be able to say, hey, point to whatever episode this is and you can see that it's okay to laugh at whatever topic that episode is about. That's our point. That's why we're here. So if you could do that, that helps us a lot. Share with your friends. Follow us on social media. Like us on Facebook at You Can't Laugh at That. Follow us on Twitter at You Can't Laugh Pod. And if you become a patron at patreon.com forward slash You Can't Laugh Pod, you'll get access to hours of footage that's never been seen or heard from any of these episodes. We've got bonus footage from episodes with Greg Stone and Anthony DeVito and Mary Santora and John Armstrong. I mean, so many different episodes with bonus content that you've never heard before. Patreon.com forward slash you can't laugh pod for $5 a month that you get access to all kinds of exclusive footage. Follow us on social media, rate us, share us with your friends, talk about us at dinner. And remember that no matter how difficult things may seem, no matter how stressed you may be, there's always a way to laugh at that. Hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to You Can't Laugh at That. This is the podcast where we take topics that aren't funny and we prove that they are funny by bringing on a comedian that has done just that. And today's guest is Sorab Faruzesh. I said it right, right? Yeah, I nailed it. Did I? Okay, good. Or are you just telling me that? So it makes me feel good. That one. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I, I made sure to listen to your introductions. Like when you got on stage and I was like, okay, but maybe they, maybe they say it wrong. I don't know. Who knows? Um, but, uh, so Rob is a Chicago based comedian. He's been a stand up NBC finalist. He performs regularly at the Laugh Factory, Zanies, and the Comedy Bar, the Big Three in Chicago. And we're grateful to have him on the podcast today to talk about Steve and I. We're talking about the whites. What's up, so Rob? <laughs> the whites. 
Yeah, somebody we need to get uh, we need to get taken down a peg. So that's why we brought pegs. you on here. A lot of pegs. Depends yeah, on who you ask. Yeah, so many pegs. Depends yeah. on the, the 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 kind of white person. Depends on who you ask. There's a lot of subjectivity to it. Sure. There's no one set answer. Um, so, so Rob, what, what's funny to you right now? Uh, just to kind of get the, the conversation rolling, like, uh, is there, there anything recently outside of the topic that, that we're going to talk about? Um, is I, there a I like that, that I've on? been talking about in my material or just yeah. I've heard out in the world? Oh, I've been doing a lot of drug stuff. Okay. I've been doing a lot of drug stuff. I've been playing around with uh, um, animal Joe. I don't know. I'm trying to like, I feel like when you have a lot of one thing, you you have to switch it up. I have a lot of race stuff, so I've been kind of trying to like see what else is up there, and it turns <laughs> out it's just all like animals and drugs, which is fine. I mean, I, <laughs> I smoke a decent amount of weed, so I could imagine why I would talk about. Can it like can it means a funny subject? Like it's a drug that both horses and humans can do. I've been really just trying to make that work for a little while. I think there's a lot there. I think it's funny that we get animals um, fucked up on drugs. Yeah, I mean they got to do something after we stopped using them to plow the fields. Yeah, you know horse pills, right? Horse pills, yeah. But you can snort it too. Anytime I've ever done ketamine, I've snorted it. Mm. Horses notoriously blow out of their nose and not blow out of their nose. Yeah, that's a tough one to get them to snort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you got (laughs) to buy it in carrots. <laughs> yeah, <some> sugar cubes. <laughs> There's a lot there. So, all right. So, you moved over from Iran at uh, when you were eight years old. Um, yeah. Was there the like what was the cult? Was there a culture shock? Uh yeah. I remember knowing English but not being able to use it. How did that? Uh, uh, your school district was it like was it, was there a lot of white people? Was yeah, there it was in San Jose? Ton, okay. Actually, ton of Persians in San Okay. Jose. That whole, all of California, riddled with them. Okay, did you guys, like, band together and, like, we're going to... No, I really didn't have any Persian friends. No? I didn't have any really real friends when I first moved here, but I didn't didn't stay in California long. I moved to Michigan soon. And then I... There were no Persian kids in Michigan. Well, I'm sure there are, but not in Battle (laughs) Creek, Michigan, where I was. Okay. Okay, so uh, how did you... Imperial City. How did you... Yeah, it's, it's near Kalamazoo, right? That's where I went to college. Western Michigan. Western Michigan yeah. University. Okay. Um, how, do you know about Kam- how do you know about Kalamazoo? I've done a couple gigs there. Oh, shit. Okay. Did you party? Um, no, party I was school. also there for work. Oh, uh, it was, I didn't go to the college. Um, this is long after I graduated from college, but like okay. I did, I did like a, a couple speaking gigs there. And then I did some, um, I did Rupert's upstairs. Rupert's um, is fun. It was, wait, is, am I thinking of two separate places? Rupert's was the place where you could smoke weed inside of, right? No, I don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it was like, that. I think it was like Sundays or whatever you could like, uh, the show doesn't exist anymore, unfortunately. Um, but I went there on a Sunday and it was a great room. Um, they laughed at all of my jokes, probably harder than they should have. That's great. Because of the weed. Next but time you go, let me know. We'll, we'll go to my old fraternity. We'll pound a couple beers. We'll do a little hazing, a little light hazing. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, those kids, don't, those, those kids don't know what's coming. We'll no. bring a horse. We'll do drugs together. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> Going to Michigan, like, were, were you picked on at all for your ethnicity? Yeah. No? Yeah. People are pretty cool? Yeah. When did you start to notice some of, like, the outside of the ordinary, um, like, the weird behaviors that white people display oh. that they are not aware of. I would, you know, what it all started is I would, um, I mean, it's a, it's a frequent joke among, like, I don't know. 
See, you, sometimes you just with a group of white people and they do some some dumb shit, and you're like, man, fucking white people, you guys really. It's always a behavior that is. I I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. That's why I think it's funny. That's why I think it should never. That's why I don't think it's hack. That's why because it's like this endless fountain of <laughs> just kind of silly shit that you guys do. I don't know. I feel like um, I can't really describe it. The the dog DNA test one, uh, I think, is an easy one because you guys kind of own loving your dogs too much. Too much. Or needing to know too much about your dogs or ki- like kissing your dog on the, you know. Sucking on your dog dog's face. Your face. Yeah. That yeah. is very, I think there's this list. If we, we can sit down and we can make a list of, I think what frustrates audience members, I think what frustrates people on the internet <laughs> about white people jokes is that they're seemingly okay. But if you were to say the same things about a person of another race, you would be defined as racist, mm-hmm. which is kind of true, but also who cares? Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's like a big deal enough to like send me a death threat. <laughs> it's, like, it's, I feel, I feel like sometimes it's about whether or not you're ganging up on someone. You yeah. know what I mean? That's I like, like what I think is racist or not. I totally, you know, it's like, you know, it's about power and shit like that. So it's like, you can't. Yeah. That's a good point is, uh, it's, 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 it's punching down versus punching up, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know where it came from. That's actually a really good question. I mean, I got a lot of, a lot of my friends are white, so I feel like, uh, and I'm not shy about calling, like, you know, making a joke about silly shit they do. Like, if you come over and you're like, hey, I'm going to go do some goat yoga, I'm going to be like, okay, that's some silly white people shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's about feeling threatened and oppressed, where it's like, you all this stuff is so... Um, frivolous you know and it's like you honestly you got to be a weak fucking person to let this shit get to you seriously i think if i heard like a i think if i heard like a white comic give like a really fun funny take on middle eastern people i'd be like all right you know i know would never inherently be offended i don't think i would but i also can't speak for members of other that's the important thing is i can't speak for other people all i can say is that if i heard a comic who was from fucking Dearborn, Michigan. Like he grew up with <laughs> Chaldean dudes and he has a fun take on Like he has something funny to say. I'd be like, all right, this is hilarious. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, As you come, it comes like, it kind of like comes from a place where you're like, oh, you've experienced this. It's not mean spirited. Like there's a, you know what's like the one end of the spectrum is the fucking um, Jeff Dunham puppet. I was just going to say that. Like his puppet is the most, and I've talked about this, that, the issue with those puppets is it's not coming from a fun, it's coming from a weird cartoonish, like exaggerated features. I Caricatures. have, yeah, mm-hmm. I've never met, a, I've never met a, a black person, but I'm going to have this kind of racist crimp pimp puppet, you know, like it just, hate, yeah. like you're, or like, uh, what is it? His middle Eastern puppet is just like a skeleton with like a turban on. Yeah, yeah. that doesn't come from a fun. That, to me, I'm no. like, oh, that's just gross. It is, but gross. like, but like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of an example of a of a white comic. Um, so some of these new guys out there are doing like some pretty. Um, who's the one everyone loves? Who's super? Um, I can't think of his name. He's like one of those uh, podcast guys. 
Um, one of the Joe Rogan guys who hasn't been canceled yet. Who Tim seems Dillon. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He has some, you know, he has some like edgy kind of takes that I'm like, all right, this seems like it's coming from like a fun, you know. That's actually a good example. I can't think of any of, and I don't particularly love his stand up, but I appreciate that he can. I like his stand up. That it came out wrong. I don't want him to listen. I don't know. He might. Who, who knows? <laughs> I didn't mean that it was bad. It's just not always my. Yeah. You know, I don't like. I don't like listening to stand up. Period. So okay, I don't blame you. I'm not gonna go out of my way to. Um, but yeah, like he yeah, has a good example. There's other examples. You know, Bill Burr. I've heard. You know, he's got some fucking. He gets. There's, there's got to be guys in the middle too that I'm not thinking of. Yeah, it's it's That's clever good. enough. Um, yeah. It's it's not hitting the nail on the head. And like you were saying with Jeff Dunham, it's a, it's a care. It's like he's done zero research. He knows zero Arabs. Like, yeah, yeah. And then and now he's building this off of what he perceives to be rather than actually doing his research, which would be authentically funnier. You know who you know who I spend the most time making Middle Eastern jokes with in college was my military buddies because I had a ton of dudes in my fraternity who were. Um, veterans and they yeah. knew they knew middle eastern culture the ones who were stationed in afghanistan because afghanistan and, and iran like if i like like even the languages are a little bit the same like if i hear someone from afghanistan talk on the news i can kind of pick up a few words there's a lot of similarities in their cultures mm-hmm. so he knew like he knows all the jokes that those motherfuckers would call me habibi and shit like it was very disarming and I'm like, you're a country ass like white dude with camo on, but you know, like you know about tea time, you know about like gift giving, you know how important that is. Or like they knew all these little intricate details. So I would always fuck around with them, and I was like, oh, you were forced to live like you had to live in these, and they weren't like violent dudes. They weren't like, like, like I was over there like blowing people up. They were like, no, I was a medic, or I was like a, <laughs> or the ones who had some, the ones who did some shit kept it quiet. Like they never mm. told me. Um, yeah. But those were the ones that I joked around with the most because they got it. They were like ingrained. It came from a warm place. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's a bit like intent. Is, it has a lot to do with yeah, whether a joke works or not. Yeah. You know, am I you got to make that this? so clear too. Like some comics are just so dry or inexperienced and they don't know how to send the right tone to the audience. And then you yeah. just, it's a big ambiguous thing. Tonality is huge. That's a big one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like I see where you're going with this, but you didn't establish that you're doing it from a good place, so you're not going to win the audience over. Right. And I know my I think everyone should know that tonality is knowing your limits, too. Because mm-hmm. sometimes I'll hear something in a tone, and I'm like, I couldn't pull that off. Mm-hmm. Like, I have no business giving my opinion on certain things because I'm just a, you know, a 30-year-old, 32-year-old Middle Eastern dude. Like, I don't have a, I shouldn't be giving my opinions on things that mean a lot to other people. Like I'm never going to get out there and give my hot take on like Cosby. Yeah. (laughs) What I mean? Like, I'm just not equipped. I'm going to sound like an asshole. Even if I have some rough joke about it, I just know my limits where I'm like, I'm going to stay in my fucking lane and I'll let other people handle that. Yeah. A hundred percent. Or that's a bad example, but I'm thinking any, anything of that shit, anything to do with like creepy fucking dudes being rapey and shit. Like I'm like, I don't have, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to make light of something, but I can, for some reason I can get away with race. So mm-hmm. I'm going to stick to that. That yeah. one seems to work for me. And and you got to know the, the visual of it too. Like, Oh the, yeah. The, the, the optics of it are big too. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, let's, let, let's go into your bit. So Jeremy, um, would you pull that up for us, please? Cause 
Um, you, you kind of make your intent clear in a couple of different ways. And I want to play the bit. So I'm not referencing something that they haven't listened to yet. Uh, so they know what we're actually talking about here. So, oh, wow. You, that's great. You get to see my subscribers. That's wonderful. I'm very, yeah. subscribe people. I need more. Hey man, <laughs> five, 5,000. That's like, uh, that's 4,000 more than I have. Yeah, but look how <laughs> look how poorly I'm doing on the right hand side. This guy's got six million, sixteen million. Oh, this guy's just homeless guy spinning some truth. He's got sixteen million. All right, maybe that's no dislike. That's what you need. Seventy one and oh. 72, 72 and, oh. and oh. There it is. YouTube there it got, is. I don't know. I don't know how that happened. That's no. That was it did not look like. I don't know what's going on with YouTube's algorithm. But at one point, that had a worrying amount of dislikes. Well, they all undislikes because they came around. Maybe. I think it was <laughs> like 15 or 20. And I was like, oh, that's getting bad. I think they had a change uh, of heart. I think you need to change your 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 title and your keyword. It needs to be a Middle Eastern guy spits some truth. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Destroys because, white people. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Jeremy, take it away. Am I the only Middle Eastern person in here? Is that how that works out? All right, I am. That's weird. I got two in the front. Hell yeah. Three's the limit. Don't let any more in. Any more come in here. This is technically a hookah lounge, so let's be careful. We're going to start selling cell phone accessories in the back. It's going to be bad. I came up here trying not to make fun of white people. I feel like I make fun of white people too much. I don't want to do that. But here's the thing, every time I stop making fun of you guys, y'all do something and you just pull me right back in there. That's the problem. <laughs> you know what I just found out? I found out white people are out here giving their dogs DNA tests. That's infuriating. You're taking blood from your dog and you're sending it to a lab to figure out its genealogy. What are you trying to teach racism to dogs? What are you doing? Is that new trick of theirs? Sit. Stay. Segregate. Segregate the other dogs. I deserve a little bit of credit. There's a lot to memorize when it comes to white people. You got LaCroix, you got LaCrosse, and then you got LaCosse. Those are three separate things. They're identical. I don't do that joke anymore. I'm going to write that down. I got to start doing that. Yeah, that's good. It's good work, like Why do I not do that's that? That's a fact. You can have that. Zookeepers, too much khaki, too many pockets. It's a stupid look. Khaki shirt, tucked into khaki pants with 60 pockets. Bird seed in one of the pockets. It's stupid. Look, they got a pet parakeet at home. I hate it. White people also love Trader Joe's. That's another thing. You fucking love Trader Joe's, do you? You love it. You are Trader Joe. I could kidnap you at gunpoint. Slap you around, throw you in the back of a van, take you to Trader Joe's, you would drop the charges. You know that about yourself. You'd be like, that was a weird Uber ride. I don't know what to do about that. I love that zookeeper thing, too. Yeah. <laughs> it's just fun to say. Yeah. It's so true, though, too. <laughs> it is the, the little bird seed. I don't even know where that one came from. That's one stage <laughs> once. And I was like, oh, that got a pop. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of that shit would happen. A lot of that um, people stuff came from uh, Rosemont, Zany's Rosemont. Mm. Okay. Because I figured out that I was, I remember they were, they were one of the first clubs to give me a shot 
featuring. So I would do Old Town. I would do Old Town is the, I mean, Old Town is beautiful. It's the most beautiful club in the world. I love it. I probably because they have my picture up. So um, it really brings the room together. Yeah, it really brings the room together. Uh, to be fair, they have a picture. They have pictures of like a hundred thousand other comics up. So it's not. Um, but there's some good ones in that list. Uh, I love that room. And I remember when they would make you do Rosemont. I'd be like, oh, I gotta go to the fucking suburbs. I gotta go by this like outlet mall, by the airport. Like you're so. Dis- but it's a it's a hot room of suburban, self hating white people, man. And I would just. They would never, they're like, I remember Zanies would be like, don't riff. Like, don't, you're featuring, do your shit, get off stage. And I would, I would break that rule and they would let me get away with it because I would just riff with them. And I think Zookeepers just came, this dude literally had um, too much khaki on. And I was like, man, you're <laughs> out here dressed like a zookeeper. And it just, I was like, oh, fuck. That day, I should have paid them that weekend. That joke has brought me so much fucking use. I can, that's one of those jokes I can put a monetary amount on that gets me out of jams. I can drop that and it'll, that's my barometer of if it's a tough crowd. If they don't like that joke, I'm in trouble. Yeah. I know right away. I'm like, okay, you guys are weird about race jokes because it's so easy. It's so palatable that if that's the one you got beef with, it's going to be a tough ride. Right. right. <laughs> so I got to right. switch. Yeah. I got to switch things up. Look at my pants are my purse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This also yeah. that joke was also I think I had that in my head because when I was bartending, there was a dude who would, his name was Miles and he would wear he would wear like those jackets that photographers wear that had all those pockets uh. and then he would wear cargo pants with like a million pockets and he had like a dumb like hat like we always looked like he was on a safari but he lived like a block away from the bar we'd be like what the fuck <laughs> are you doing dude yeah and, yeah I think it came from that and I think I just always had that in my brain and was like I got to do something with that. Yeah. But it's one of those things where I think when you're new to stand-up, you see something like that, and you, like, write a big, long joke about it. You write, like, a page of, like, I this guy comes into my bar, and he wears all these outfits, and we say he looks like he's on a safari. And I think when you have some experience, you're like, no, that is a 45-second pop. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> don't need to go into it. You just have it. It's one of those things where you're like, if you have it in your brain, other people are probably going to have it in their brain, too. Mm-hmm. Right. Pages. I have pages and pages about, like, one singular topic. And then after time, I realized, yeah. oh, there's just one joke. There's just one. Th- yeah, that's a really fun moment in stand-up where you're like, mm-hmm. I wrote two pages to say 30 seconds. Yep. <laughs> yep. Or, or yeah. the, I mean, every once in a while, it, the opposite is true, too, where it's like, oh, there's yeah, one you joke here. Then, yeah, you, you have something small that becomes, you know, much something much bigger. Unpacks uh, a lot. Right. But, and before, speaking of unpacking, before we unpack the uh, the the... The your bit, um, you said you know getting away with riffing, or is that kind of who you are as a comic? Do you discover jokes while you're on stage? Yeah, I do it much more. I'm very. I don't. I don't think I flourish in open mics. I'm not a. Um, I go. I, I've paid attention to how I act at open mics. I go under my time. I go very fast. Um, I essentially all I all I do with open mics is I just try to see if word economy like do these three words sound good together enough for someone to chuckle? Mm-hmm. Like if, if I can make a comic, if I can, like, cause you guys done open mics. If you're lucky, there's like a dozen people there. Well, that's Chicago. I don't know about Ohio. Right. Like if you go to like the comedy bar, open mic, you're going to, if you're lucky, there's going to be like six to 12 audience members. If you're unlucky, it'll be one or two audience member in all comics. Right. So even if you can get one little chuckle, you're like, all right, these words are appealing next to each other. Mm-hmm. But I've never been able to riff at an open mic. I feel like I kind of got to do it at shows 
where I can like, and I, it needs to happen for me. And this is just for me because I'm very lazy. And it's not, I would not recommend this. I would never recommend this strategy to other people. Like you just, you can't, I like, I mean, this is so bare bones. Like you tell a good joke and then you live in it, you know? You make them laugh and then that's when you kind of riff. But it doesn't always work because you're doing it at a stupid time. You're doing it at a time where they're already laughing. So it's not easy to like identify. But I think just riffing into a warm room is just the most beautiful. It, that's where it happens. Yeah. But that's mm-hmm. hard. I mean, imagine like, you know, you're a year into stand up and you're like, hey, give me some advice. And I'm like, yeah, riff in a warm room. And they're like, I don't, what the fuck? What do you mean? Like, I got to <laughs> do well and then figure it out. Like, yeah, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's much harder to add tags if, if the room isn't on board with what you just said. Like, I feel like that's why open mics always stressed me out because I was like, they're cold. It's a cold, it's an inherently cold space. Mm-hmm. It's where a lot of people die. Yeah. Like they like permanently, like they'll quit comedy. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I've, I've, I'm it. frustrated with open mics because there's jokes that I've done at open mics that I've written in my, I've crossed out in my book and then re, re came back to it a year later and be like, no, that was just a bad room. That's a great joke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just, I was just getting, but too much of what I'm doing is bad too. Because then I went into, I fell into a rut where I was just riffing and in hot rooms and I wasn't writing much. So I think there needs to be this like, Equal, like equal space between the two where you're doing both things. Right. You, you got to find yeah. your own, like you got to, you got to get comfortable with your own style and find that sweet spot for you. Like yeah. It's different. It's a ratio, different ratio for other people. Um, I, I look at uh, open mics almost as like cold calling. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm definitely not gonna crush the first time when I try a new joke, yeah. maybe not even the second time, but the ones who succeed in sales are the ones who are willing to make the fourth and the fifth. And I don't know why I did the voice, but you know what I mean? Like you, you build your confidence, you, you learn like, Oh, maybe I shouldn't pause here and then I'll get the laugh or, yeah. you know, it's, it's those little tweaks that I like to, to work on. At open Always mics. be closing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So uh, let, let's get back to the bit. Um, where did this bit come from? Like what inspired it initially? I can remember the actual dog one where that came from. I was this, this is, uh, I was with some friends who had just bought a dog, very cute dog. And they had their paperwork on the counter and I was looking at it and I was like, what is this? And they explained the dog genealogy thing to me. And I remember saying, um, I was like, what are you trying to teach at racism? And then it made my friends laugh. And then I was like, oh, well, obviously we have something. And then I, one of them, one of the friends who was there is really funny. So I, t- I told her, I was like, I'm actually going to do that as a bit. And then later on, she sent me the sit, stay, segregate. She was like, oh, you should do it like that. And I was like, that's actually a really good idea. I will do that. And it worked. Hmm. And then uh, I've tried that joke without bringing up race. I don't know why it does not work. <laughs> I swear yeah. to you, I've I've for anybody who wants to tell me that I'm a I'm a I'm lazy and I'm a hack for doing white people jokes. I have tried that joke without that element of race, and it is middling at best. It kind of gets there's something about it. I need like if it, even there's something about that joke where someone in the audience also thinks it's stupid. Yeah, I just need. I need one person in the audience to think it's stupid and it'll work. I think, I mean, you, you put uh, an image and expectation in people's heads when you introduce the the topic of race before you get into that joke. 
then I think yeah, it's uh, got, that's a good point because it's got to do. It's at that point, it's got to do well. Yeah, <laughs> it's the eugenics angle that makes it necessary. I feel like because historical context and all that. I'm, kinda, I'm dumb. I didn't even realize that. That's a coincidence of that. <laughs> that's just me thinking that's something white people would spend their waste their money on. But you're uh, you're right. That's a that's definitely something I could probably explore. Just the whole like getting wrapped up in. Uh, completely arbitrary genealogical yeah. uh, shit. Like when white people get their own genealogy done and they're like, I'm this and that. And it doesn't mean shit. doesn't mean fucking anything at all. Uh, <laughs> it's like the sense of pride. Oh, I'm going to start a metal band. I'm part Norwegian. What? You know, <laughs> like, fuck you. It means nothing. <laughs> so yes, I totally get like why that's important. Yeah. And, and two, you know, you can say like one or two sentences that introduce the topic and it unpacks so much in people's heads because of what they've, what they know about it, their experience about it. And that's, that's why I love like how comedy, you, you whittle it down to as, as few words as possible, but you're still saying so much that the, you know, the audience has this thing playing out in their head without even realizing it. Yeah. And then you hit a punchline that subverts what they're playing out in their head or whatever and and it it interrupts that pattern in a way where they laugh and it's that's like that's that's a symphony to me I'm yeah it worked. i mean that's that you nailed it yeah <laughs> thanks yeah I, it's why i like short stuff you i mean you kind of nailed why i like um people who do who pop like i'm a big hannibal Earth fan i think like mm-hmm. back in the day like animal furnace it's like 10 jokes a minute you know it's just like bam 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 that's why i like that shit i like i like when people say a little packed with a lot and you but it still gets you know word economy i love that shit some a comic here told me about that like a few years ago and it blew my mind and now it's all i think about i i don't like uh, comics that tell i mean don't get me wrong they're funny and many most it feels like most comics do this but i i cannot listen to like stories like and then she said and I'm just like, yeah, a lot of it can be very funny, but it's like just not my thing yeah. either. Yeah, like write more jokes into the story. I think that's coming back. I think more and more people, I think the bigger podcasts and shit get, the more people want to just tell stories. So let's um, into the bit. So when you open it, you open it by explicitly saying, well, first of all, you introduce um, the the whole Arab, the whole Middle Eastern uh, Yeah, that deep that. I, I think it's big to, um, I got, I got to get a laugh in the first like 15 seconds or I, my success rate <laughs> plummets. I need, I've learned that about myself. If I don't get, if I don't get a pop within, I mean, immediately I will fluster. I will like physically get nervous. It's a, it's bad, but yeah. it, um, it, if I do it correctly, it makes for a good set. So I've, and that, and that race joke, um, de-arms them i don't know there's something about that that i go after myself right away mm-hmm. and i give them there's i think there's a combination of you give them a little bit of information about yourself you do a little bit of crowd work it is the kind of crowd work that you're not going to get some asshole like talking to you it's just a woo or a clap yeah mm-hmm. um, you know you take that little poll and then you can bounce right into something that i would say as like a 90 percent success rate that joke just hits I've always, even, I can't even, I think if I, I would have to look through my old joke, joke books, but I think I, you can pinpoint the, the moment in my standup where I'm like, oh, I need my funniest thing right away. 
Right. Yeah. And I think at this moment in time, that is my funniest thing I can get out in 10 seconds. Yeah. Hookah so, bar and, uh, and selling uh, cell phone accessories. Yeah, like, those two, the success, the success rate on those two is bananas. Yeah. They and hit. It, it's not the obvious thing either. It's not like the no. first joke. It? Like, no. I feel like there's a couple, le- a little bit of legwork that even though they're, they're like simple jokes and they're punchy and they're funny, like a tiny little bit of legwork uh, is needed to kind of, uh, to, to get the laugh. I think I used to say kiosk, but I think people expect that. Mm-hmm. Both of those are ones I think hookah lounge is, a, I would say, a little, um, I mean, if I have to dissect my own joke, which I hate doing, but um, if I... Don't worry, we're going to do it for you. <laughs> yeah. No, um, hookah lounge is expected, but I, if I had to defend that joke, I'd say I, I add the bit about if, if there's a certain amount of Middle Eastern people in a room, it's immediately a hookah lounge. I think that idea on its own is funny. Mm-hmm. I think that's the funny part of the joke. I don't think the, the funny part of the joke is that Middle Eastern people love hookahs. I think it's that if you got four in a room, this is technically a hookah lounge. If right. I had to defend it. But also, I don't have to defend it. So I'm just fucking, I'm just fucking with you guys. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right, it's like uh, it's like uh, if you get four uh, wolves in, in a room, it's a pack, or if you get like four geese, it's a gaggle. Like, yeah, it, it almost has that kind of play. Like, oh, a group of, of four Middle Easterners in a room is a, is a hookah lounge. That's a scientific term. Yeah, if it's, a, I do have a bit where if it's a group of white women, I say it's a Pilates class. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. Yeah, and that goes beyond too. Like the first line, people want to go with Karen right away. Is like the yeah. the joke, and it's like that's so overdone this year. That's so well done. It's not. I find that I find that bit disarms them enough for me to be able to then do more race jokes. Right, and and you you pop in and say, "I'm not trying to make fun of white people, but every time I stop, you do something like this isn't on me. This is on yeah. you guys." I remember. It's a great God. rationalization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, just a, a solid Godfather three, three reference. <laughs> Every when time Al, when Al Pacino's like, just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. Yeah. So what happens? Like, have you, have you done the? Uh, have you dove into the white people jokes without without the um, the? Yes. The, yes, that is a hard learned lesson that I have learned. I've that, that is one of the. It's weird because, um, I I went through a period where I thought going up there with high energy and, and screaming a joke at him right away <laughs> will work. But it I doesn't always work. Um, it's like this thing where, like, you have, <laughs> like, I have this thing where I'm like, oh, this works now. I figured out how to disarm the audience right away. And then I got into it a little bit longer, and I'm like, oh no, that only works sometimes. Sometimes you have to read the room and be like, I got to talk to these guys. Mm-hmm. I got to, and I think that just comes from experience. That comes from how the person before you did. Um, what sucks is though, like, sometimes like when I do colleges, like I have to go up on my own. And I have to, Ugh. I have to read the room while I'm like doing material. I have to kind of be like, "How are you guys? Like, are you going to talk back? Are you going to?" But yeah, it's. Uh, I have learned that if I go up there and I do that first, my odds are a little better. But even that doesn't work sometimes. Even that, even that, like I can, you know, which kind of sucks too because if that doesn't work. That sometimes they don't understand that I'm Middle Eastern. Like I'll get to the rest of my jokes where I talk about being, and they're like, "Why is he talking? This why is this Puerto Rican kid talking to me about being?" <laughs> like if they talk over that first bit, or if it doesn't get a laugh, or if they just kind of ignore it. I don't know. It's it's weird. My set can go. I've learned this about myself. My set can go wrong really quick, <laughs> and it mm-hmm. and it's like kind of tough to like prevent it 
from doing. I have to get better at making sure it goes well. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel I like have that just, too sometimes. Yeah, right. Like you're like, this is I'm good at this, but I can also go poorly if mm-hmm. I don't. <laughs> I think Jeff is like that too. But I've seen I, Jeff's Jeff murders way more often than I do, which is fucking frustrating. But uh, he, I think he's one of those guys too that it can go south. At a, how do you, at a moment's notice. How do you respond like if if that joke doesn't do well? I do crowd work. I do I do a little bit of I I I try to I mean that's like your backup tool if you can't disarm them. Mm-hmm. If you can't disarm them with a joke, then you have to go into like any birthdays, which also but then you gotta be careful because if the host already did that, then you can't do that. Then you have to, you know, you have to kind of just scan the front row and be like, is there anything immediately that I can talk about? It, and it, what I've learned too is compliment, compliment first before insulting. Like, don't, oh, yeah. like, don't. That has gotten me into trouble. I get actually talking about this is like PTSD because I can. I'm remembering sets where I went up there, high energy, thinking I was mm-hmm. going to be able to get a pop out of them right away. Doing either a white, doing a race joke, either any Middle Eastern people here or any white people here, having it fail. And then going into crowd work, doing something mean, and then just now you're in a hole. Yeah. <laughs> now you're literally digging your way out of a hole. I can remember sets that have, and I've learned that lesson from there of like, okay, if the race shit doesn't get them, then you got to be fucking nice. You got to be warm and you got to be Mr. Likeable mm-hmm. and then try to get back in your material. Yeah. I forget too often to be nice to the audience or to compliment them. Yeah. It works so well. I don't know why I don't think of it more often because they really, it, man, and once they love you, they'll just yep. laugh at anything. It's crazy. Gotta, it's like, it, it is crazy. Yeah. You know who blew my mind about it is fucking Sam Talent. Ah, uh, yeah. He was, he's so warm to them up front. And I, I could, you could see it on their fucking faces. They're like, oh, I mm-hmm. like this guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then he can get away and then he can do play him like a fucking trumpet. Yeah. Playing like a fucking saxophone. He can do whatever he wants with them because they like him. And they're like, oh, you complimented my husband. You raised yourself as the co- the comedian not only talked to... I saw that once. I saw that little bit of crowd work he did. He was in... I can't remember where I was, where I was watching him. But there was this like kind of older couple and he complimented the husband and he looked so happy. And then she looked happy. And I was like, that's what this is. That's like the essence of this is like, yeah. you have them for the rest of the show. Mm-hmm. He could go, he could bomb and they would still be like he tried he was so nice yeah you know right. I mean? like, they were gonna be not, i don't know it's bananas when i saw him do that shit yeah. if you can't be funny at least have them enjoy them like it's exactly. feel good you yeah. can win you win still you know it's yeah weird. you're a hundred percent right you will win you will still get them coming up to you complaining about the room being like oh those other people didn't i liked you fuck them you know yeah. you're like oh yeah. cool Yep, that's happened before. Um, yeah, because yeah, like, it's it, we're humans. Like we have a, we have that. The instinct is to cut down because that's what we've seen. We've seen it work, and uh, and you know, there's still kind of a lack of understanding. No matter how seasoned you get, there's still like that kind of lack of understanding why it works. Like why being mean yeah. works. Maybe you forgot that earlier they complimented that couple, and then then they just kept talking. Uh, but also, when you do compliment them they're on your team. So even if they started out as a heckler, now all of a yeah. sudden they're on your side. You're in, you're, you're in a conspiracy together. Yeah. Yeah. You're in cahoots. You have to set it up where you're, you're in cahoots with each other. You guys disagree about the same things. Yeah. 
So uh, going into that, like um, the teaching racism to dogs, um, it's it's a nice way to kind of point out the historical racism that is baked into like Anglo-Saxon history. Again, you guys are smarter than I am because I didn't think about any of this shit. Um, (laughs) I'm so stupid. But but you're smart enough to like know that you're observant enough to to make those distinctions. Sure. And you know, whether you meant it or not, again, it's like, you know, humans have this tribal nature. Like we, we grew up in a community, we have loyalty to the community. You get this identity built into you. Like, Oh, I'm half German, half Italian or whatever it is. And then, uh, and that, that obsession with the Steve, you were saying like the eugenic side of it, like, you know, uh, what's my nationality. I'm so proud of this nationality. It doesn't mean anything. And so putting it in terms of like, what your dog is and then having dogs uh, behave in a huge way. You're projecting those projecting the whiteness or the, the weird uh, obsession that white people have with themselves under their own dogs, which they also love too much more. It's, it's a stereotype that white people love their dogs too much. And then it all kind of coalesces together as like this thing is very true. <laughs> yeah. Um, we were all like, very self-obsessed, but I tell a lot of genealogy jokes yeah. myself. Uh, and that's why I am like, yes, no, I totally get this. Like it's, uh, and about how white people take it too far, but it's always about being part native American that I joke about. Oh, okay. So it's one of those things where, Oh, I'm not part native American. Now I got to throw away my moccasins and my dream catchers. And, and it's like, yeah, it's all just fables, and I don't know why you care either way. And it's like, whatever. But yeah, it's <sighs> built on stories, and um, uh, you know, segregating, like putting it in terms of dogs and breeds of dogs, that that makes the the act of segregation in itself feel much like feel very absurd, even to people who are like, I love segregation. <laughs> like that's that's kind of a funny. Who says yeah. that? Who do you know? Who are you hanging out with? <laughs> I don't know, man. There, there's got there, they got to be there somewhere. Yeah, white people obsess over breeds and the mm-hmm. dog racism, and yeah, that's all real too. It's 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 like it's it's definitely part of like everybody just knows that that's actually like based in total reality, right? That it is funny and pit bull segregation laws. Oh, that's funny. Uh, yeah, yeah, the pit bull stuff. Yeah, that's, that's actually, that comes to mind. Yeah, very funny. I'll write that down. (laughs) Us training dogs to sniff out drugs, and that has an element of racism to it. There's so much to unpack there. Mm -hmm. It's it's funny. And you do mention poodles, so you got to segregate the poodles from the pit bulls. (laughs) Yeah. Hold on. And then just like just all the breeds, and the fact that white people made a lot a lot of those breeds, and just like they. Yeah. I saw someone else kind of do this joke on the internet, so I feel like I can't do it anymore. But I was going to do a bit about how dogs are stupid because they all the dog breeds are weird. Because is you, yeah, I'll fuck that. I'll fuck whatever you want. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we right. want me to fuck. I'll fuck it. <laughs> I ain't picky. You give me the right time of the month, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> Put it Tell me where to fuck, man. I'll fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next, the next uh, chunk of this bit, our bit in this chunk, whatever. Uh, but, uh, ex- exclaiming that you are an expert on white people. Um, yes. <laughs> you know, and then mentioning that there's a lot to keep track of. And then you go into the wordplay of LaCroix, LaCrosse, Lacoste, 
That's really good. Where did that start from? I haven't done that joke in so long. I know where the LaCroix thing came from. The LaCroix thing came from a joke that I would, I I tried to make this work for a year. For 12 months straight, I tried to make this joke funny and it never really hit. So I just gave it up about how um, I was smoking a joint in an alley once and I saw these white people give um, another person their baby and in return they got a 12 pack of LaCroix. And I was like, these white people just sold this baby for LaCroix. <laughs> and it it never really, I didn't have an end to the joke and people were confused by it. And clearly the situation was, this person was probably babysitting for them or something. Yeah. And it was like, oh, here's your 12 pack of LaCroix that I promised I'd get you or something. But I was high <laughs> and I was like, these people just sold this baby. And yeah. then I always liked, and then I, I remember seeing that one day and being like, why do I like that joke so much? And I was like, well, I think I just like saying LaCroix. And then as I was thinking about that, I was like, well, there's also lacrosse and uh, Lacoste. And I was like, oh, yeah. well, there you go. There's got to be something there. Yeah. Um, that's all. That's that, the origins of that one are fairly simple. Um, and then me being an expert, I think, is true. I grew up in Michigan, mid small town. I was in a fraternity. I know a decent amount about him. I, I didn't know if that was a, like a kind of a tongue in cheek uh, reference to like white people, like having to be the expert on everything, even if they don't have the answers. Like, Oh no, that, that like was just me leg- no, that was just legitimately me being able to carry on a conversation about string cheese incident or <laughs> the film, the early films of Christopher Nolan or. Okay. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to think. Of other okay. It's a lot, a lot of music based. There's a lot of like, <laughs> But then you follow that up with, you know, the 25% of white people dress like zookeepers. So it's almost like I'm, yeah. I'm affirming that I am an expert. I have this statistic that yes. I made up. Yes. I used to say those things separate. That That's just, um, I used to say those things separately. I think I, I, every comic goes through this where they like have these things at work. And then one day you have this epiphany where you're like, why don't I just put them together? Mm. That's the like, best right yeah like having a set like you have you have five minutes on a topic like that's i think the the goal should be for people that's the best making those yeah. connections yeah in, in itself um the trader joe's portion of it you know uh, i can see so you we were talking before we started recording about how you've had to defend the bit more to fellow comics for it being quote-unquote hack yeah um do you think this is this the part where, where the, that they call yes. out the Trader Joe part? Yes. Okay. It's it's uh, it's definitely it's definitely this part. I don't know. I don't know why this part pisses <laughs> people off. I don't know why this part pisses <sighs> comics off. I don't know why my white people jokes in general get under. And not to even say it. It's been years since I've had to defend them. I just remember back in the day when I was like, when I first was putting this shit together and it was hot and I was killing with it. Dudes would get <laughs> cops get a couple drinks in them and be like, "Yeah, you gotta just lay off uh, the race stuff, man." Like, I feel like you do too much, and I'm like, "Come on, it's three minutes. It's fun." Um, yeah, that's I think stupid. people are annoyed because it's simple and it gets a big reaction. That's it. But I also, I mean, I that's why I wrote it. That's why I did. I mean, that's why I do it. Also, the the Trader Joe's thing works because it's fake crowd work. Fake crowd work is like the easiest tool. We have. I don't know why more people don't do the pseudo. It seems like you just wrote it. It seems like you're saying it for the first time right now because you're incorporating an audience member. That's something no, you're right. I, 
that's something that blows that I learned a few years ago when I saw another comic do it where he was doing that shit. And I went up to him after a show and I was like, that's incredible that you were coming up with all that stuff in the moment. He's like, no. And he explained it to me. He was like, no, dude, it's not that hard. If you just bring in, if you just pull in an audience member, people will just assume that it's ad libbed. And I was like, oh, that's fucking brilliant. And I sat on that for like months before I finally was able to learn how to do it. And I still do it. I think I try to do it. That's why I do a lot of pointing and like, if you just bring them in, yeah, it'll you work. Are things Jeff. will hit harder. Things will, mm-hmm. it'll, it'll spread totally. a little bit of spice. It's that connection that. where you really are talking to them instead of reciting at them. Yes. You know, they contrive crowd work is the best way to make it conversational. And that's what we all, at least most comics need to try to do that because it's the best way to connect with the audience. Obviously other people do characters or whatever, whatever little specific things that are exemptions. But generally I feel like that's a good thing to do and know how to do. Yeah. Did you say like, I mean, you focus on the one trader Joe uh, in the audience. That's another, the success, the success rate on that is bananas. Yeah. You are, there's something about that where you are trader Joe. That <laughs> every time. They that's cheered, of, didn't they? Huh? Didn't they cheer when you did Oh that yeah. Thing? I mean, at, yeah, at, yeah. at, at last, there's, I got like a list of things that if it's a weekend at laugh factory, it's too easy. It's fish mm-hmm. in a barrel. If I do these jokes. Mm-hmm. that's why I feel lazy sometimes doing them, but they just, I'm addicted to them. I've come to that conclusion. I've spent a lot of like, I think a lot of comics did this. They came out of the pandemic and they, fe- they fell out of love with their old jokes. Mm-hmm. Right? Me too. Like, like, yeah. Right. I think I've universally have talked to other comics where they're like, Oh, this is, this is happening to me too. I would feel bored and ill and just, I feel annoyed at myself doing the same material. Like, I remember when I was getting gigs right out of the pandemic, I would do this old, I mean, literally what's in that clip. And I'd be like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, I've had these jokes for years. Like, now, because your brain counts the last year as a year, you're like, I've had these jokes for years. You're kind of yeah. being addicted. You're being addicted to yourself. But it, it, But that's how I feel. And I was like, I can't. I got to write new stuff. I got to get out there, but I'm legitimately addicted to these jokes because of the fucking six, like how much they can get an audience to react. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I got to, I, I have to like, I wish I could like go to like some kind of like alcohol, alcoholics anonymous, get like a sponsor or something and be like, Oh, I'm thinking yeah. about it. And they're like, no, do your new shit. Bomb. Like do poorly. Like that's what I need to like teach myself how to do is to like kind of eat shit once pick and choose where I'm eating shit. Like, I don't know, but I'm, I'm too, I'm too lazy. I'm too hooked on this fucking dopamine of like, oh, this joke will hit 90% of the time. Would you, uh, would you adjust like an old joke a little bit, like move order around a little bit or add I tried a, that add for a, a little bit. I tried that for a little bit. Cause I felt like, um, I felt like maybe that would make me happy. Mm. That would make me have fun again. Cause it just felt like I wasn't having fun, but it didn't, you know what it felt like? It felt like, um, reorganizing a messy room. You're not actually fixing the problem. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it didn't feel like I was genuinely doing anything. But then I started doing like this new shit I told you, like when you were like, oh, do you have anything in your mind that you think is funny? That stuff doesn't hit as hard, but it makes me work harder. And I have to like, I'm starting to find things in those jokes that are guaranteed hits that I can kind of live in for a minute and be like, okay, I can... I can find a tag in here. Like I got to do, like I got to go to the burbs tonight and do 30, which is great for me because what I've learned is what I need to do is I need to do longer sets of time and I need to get them in the first 15, 20 minutes. I need to do my best stuff up top 
be warm, get them on my side, and then live in it and kind of do the new stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And play with tags. And, and that's exactly what I'm going to do tonight. That's exactly what I'm going to do with every longer set I have coming up. And yeah. that's been working. That's been working for me way more than open mics is. One, yeah. one thing I've realized is uh, after coming out of the pandemic, one is all my old jokes, I tell them, and I was doing this a little bit before the pandemic. I was telling jokes as if, like, I don't like them because I don't like them. And the audience can see me not into my own oh, old yeah. jokes. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. then and then on top of that, it's um, just coming out. I don't like doing five minutes anymore. I have to do 10 or 15 because I need that time to yeah. get into the groove of things. So, yeah. You're totally right. Like, when you're not having fun, your body gives off, like, an electricity. And they other people it. can pick. Yeah, they can just know. Yeah. Without mm-hmm. even, they can subconsciously see it. They might not even know, but they're like, I know. He's not having fun. It's like you don't want to tell jokes like they're about to hit you. You got to tell your jokes the way you used to when you were excited about them and you told them with yeah. all the meaning and emphasis that came out naturally. That's why so. I, like, um, I really like the dude who runs Laugh Factory. His name's Curtis. Curtis has seen me have these kind of existential crises before the show and been like, what the fuck's your problem? And this is before the pandemic. This is when I just felt like I was doing the same stuff too much. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a tough feeling to go into the pandemic with. Cause I went into the pandemic feeling like that. And then I came out feeling the same. <laughs> I was like, Oh fuck. But I remember him seeing me and being like, what's wrong. And I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm going to go up there and I feel like I'm going to do the same 10. I'm trying to, I'm trying to show you, I can do new stuff. I don't want you to think that I'm just this hack who can only really write, you know, who's got 10 good minutes and that's all he can do. And he will like, he's, I've, I'm sure he deals with this all the time, but he just looked at me and he was like, this is fucking please do your best shit. <laughs> and yeah. the sincerity in his eyes, I was like, oh, I understand. Like, you want me to put on a good show. <laughs> like, you want the audience to leave happy. So it's my obligation to offer you the best material that I have. And if it's new and I'm confident in it, do it. But also do your best. Please don't bomb. Like, he <laughs> just saw, I was expecting some pep talk, but he didn't, he talked to me like an employer. Where he yeah. was like, just do what, like, do we please, like, don't bomb. Like, it was like, it was like 11 o'clock on a Saturday. He was tired. He was just sick of deal. He was like, no, just do well. I don't care. I'm never going to hear. And I like that because I went home with him. Like, he's never going to care about, I think most bookers don't. I think that's comics who think, right. Steve, man, I don't really like Stephen. Like, I like Stephen King as a dude, but I've never really been a big fan of his work. There's a few things I like, but he's got a thing where he's like, don't write for other writers. And that's exactly what comics do is I feel like they start doing stand-up for other stand-ups. Yeah. And then yeah. You're, you're just going to fall in a rut. I right. feel like it is a trap because yeah, you're, you're not writing for yourself. Um, and you're writing for approval and that's never yes. a reason to do stand-up. I don't mind writing for self-approval. I feel like at this point I'm writing for self-approval and I'm yeah. and happy and I'm, I'm zen about that, but I, I'm happy that I'm able to identify when I'm doing it for other people. That's different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so with, with this bit, like what was bit, what was the original intent behind the bit? Um, did you have an intent other than like, Oh, this is funny. No, it was just a little, yeah. I think I, I don't really, I have things that I try to think deeply with when I, when I write them, but none of them is in my 10 minutes. You're not going to see any of that shit. That's the yeah. shit I do when I have to do an hour. I've learned that there's moments, and I like those moments. I like when I do stuff about religion or politics or like stuff I 
feel deeply about like my patriotism. That's like one of the things I like talking about when I have longer sets is liking America and how tough that is. Because mm-hmm. people don't people like liberals get mad because you're just patriotic. <laughs> Conservatives get mad because you're Middle Eastern. There's like no winning. Like I got no luck. Um, yeah. like that shit, like that kind of shit that I like talking about, or like I feel like I have their attention, and that's fine. Even if I don't get a big laugh out of them, I'm like, all right, whatever. You're gonna listen to this for ten minutes. You're gonna be interested. Whatever. Right. No one gets hurt, and that only happens very rarely. Like I got to do an hour, like in some school like next week and i promise you the 20 minutes of it is going to be interesting and not funny <laughs> mm-hmm. and at this point in my career i'm fine with that mm-hmm. like i'm sure i'll get there when i can have a tight 60 minutes but that time ain't yet right now i gotta most of the stuff you see in my short clips are just funny are just that's it that's the only reason i wrote it i wish i had deeper like reasons for it but i don't if you think about them, like, can you connect them through like a thread, whether it's a, a certain theme or um, something like that? To, to no, I don't even think I. Set? Um, what do you mean? Like, in what way? Like, so, um, for example, like I, um, one of my common themes is lean into it. Like, anytime something shitty has ever happened to me, I've found a way to lean into it, and that's how I discover like what's funny. Oh, and so, like, I, okay, yeah. Out. That's interesting. Yes, I have two that they have two rules that I've recently discovered as far as thematics go that works for me. Um, never tell a story about another person. It always happened to you. I love that. That has changed how I write drastically. Mm-hmm. Um, I've discovered I don't have to tell the truth. I can talk about whatever the fuck I want up there. No one, if, if people think you're lying to them, whatever, who the fuck cares? And yeah. I'm a huge Chappelle fan. And the joke that repeats in my head over and over again is his baby selling weed joke. Mm-hmm. Because that, that joke starts off so realistically of him being in the being in the limo, the limo driver taking a detour, taking him to the hood. He's, then, the, then the story just kind of careens off this clip of believability. But you still are with him. You're still like, okay, in your head, you're like, this happened to him. Even though you know in real life it's impossible, you're still there. Right. I think that's one of the lessons I took from that is lie. Like, if it happened to someone else, fuck that. It happened to you. And a story mm-hmm. can get as crazy as possible. Mm-hmm. I think those are the two things that I've recently added into stories where I'm like, like, okay, it, ha- it, it happened to you and it needs to get crazy. I think some of my old stuff, I've discovered that it needs to be semi-self-deprecating in, in a, or about me in a kind of weird narcissistic way. People, I don't think I'm good with talking about broad ideas. I think I need to talk about individual people. Great. Work. You start from that, that place of truth too. And then it, it careens off with the, uh, the dog genealogy, but like you said, you know, your friends got a dog and then they, they got the test done. Like a lot of it comes from that place. So it, mm-hmm. it translates over to it, I think, mm-hmm. but, but like other people aren't, you know, um, I'm, I have a lot of respect for people who can mix the two. I think that's where the genius comes in. That's what I have to start doing is you have to do both abstract ideas and yourself. Mm-hmm. I think if once you start combining that world, that's when like, that's when you can do a tight hour. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that's when you can start doing stadiums and shit and just fucking have loads of fans because mm-hmm. you kind of fill every bubble that, that people want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Based on a true story. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Mulaney's pretty good at that too. He's not my thing, but, but I've always noticed that he's really good at 
stories are always about him and they get they go from one to a hundred fairly easily. Yeah, you've got to start in a, in a place where, like we have the level set before we before we take it somewhere. Otherwise, you can't start with a third beat, you know, right away. You've got to take people to that absurdity. So there are a lot of comics who are both lighthearted, universal, and extremely smart comedy all at once, and that's a thing I would like to do. Although I don't want to like not be myself either, but it's like. That's like the most marketable combination that I've noticed yeah. is it's just kind of hits all cylinders and it's kind of a win-win in a, in a way. That's, yeah, that's a good, that's like the perfect combination. Yeah. It's kind of like when you build an RPG, like, you know, play an RPG and you got to build a character. You got to like pick your stats. Ah, yeah. Like where do you want to mm-hmm. go, you know? The Swiss Army knife of characters. Yeah. Or whatever, where you can just kind of, yeah, I can rogue. get away it's with It's very rogue-like. Anything. You just described a rogue. Yeah, I guess if I had to describe my, I would say I'm a paladin. I beat you over the head. I'm just yeah. not very smart, but I'm strong. Yeah, and you got to lean into that. You can't try to put on that the facade that you know the audience will smell that out right away. Yeah, I think yeah. I'm smart when it comes to other shit. Like I, re, you know, but I ain't smart when it comes to stand up, and I have to be fine. Like I'm, I'm fine with that. I've come to terms with that where I'm like, I don't need to go intellectual. I like, I've learned what I think is funny. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and even yeah, I was gonna say even though you might be hard on yourself about that, at least you're not the comic that's like I'm super smart, and but they're not, and then they're like assholes, and it's like you you have a place of humility you come from, and you're probably not giving yourself enough credit, and I like <laughs> that. That's good. Well, I just like dumb comedy. Like that's what I inge- That's what I digest. So I feel mm-hmm. like I have to be kind of like honest about that. Yeah. Do you mean silly? I love like, silly. Ca- Dude, that, I think that's so much funnier than smart comedy now. Like, I do too much wordplay and stuff that's, like, more clever than it is, like, gut-bustingly hilarious. And, yeah. like, I get so sick of it. I'm done with it, I think. I'm, like, I just cannot stand wordplay anymore or just shit like that. Like, that shit's silly shit is so much fun. Characters, yeah. hilarious. Like, just silly shit. I, uh, my, I didn't realize it until my girlfriend started making fun of me because I kept recommending her music. Like she, I was, I, I'm, I got a decent record collection and I just, I was on a huge talking heads kick and mm-hmm. she just got so pissed with it. And she was like, can you play something that's not silly? And I was like, they're not silly. They're very <laughs> serious musicians. And she was like, what's the name of the, what's the name of the song you're listening to? And I was like, making flippy floppy. <laughs> and then I like had this realization and I like kind of looked through my record collection. I was like, this is all silly shit. This is all dumb, silly. <laughs> like Looney yeah, it, man, I love Looney Tunes. I re- I recently really fell in love with Looney Tunes. Oh yeah. I mean, just great. Good. that's just good material. That's just good jokes. Good mm, visual fucking gags. Yes. That's the problem with uh, movies nowadays, too. They have too many jokes in them and not enough visual hilar- like yeah. humor. And that stuff is so much better. I agree. Than, yeah. I uh, I fell in love with comedy through movies like Airplane and oh, yeah. like Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Just mm. the absurdity, the slapstick, yeah. like comedy. Uh, because it took me by surprise. I, I forget uh, what episode we were talking about this, but but comedy is like, what is it? So, you know, somebody's walking and then they slip on a banana peel and it's funny because they were just walking and they should still be walking, but now they're not. And we didn't expect that. And like that is built into like airplane and, and goofy and, stuff and set the naked gun. Yeah. Like if it's goofy and satirical or, 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 or satirical or both, like, 
that's that stuff's great like the ali g show was hilarious to me because it was both very immature but also very smart in its themes and its uh intent and i think it was a, a really great combo i think portlandia was like a really e- like a good mix of that like mm-hmm. Carewood, yeah John, i loved portlandia too, yeah yeah, it was a really good mix of silly and kind of like thoughtful. Um, I watch a lot of Thirty Rock. I think Thirty Rock is probably my all-time favorite silly show because it's smart. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. like I you count it, you can count how many jokes happen in a minute, and it's bananas. Oh, it's insane! Every other yeah. line, mm-hmm. it's just hit after hit after hit after. Damn, I love. I mean, I love that when it comes to my stand-up. Is that's what I like about my material is I want it to be quick. I want to hit mm-hmm. you as hard as they hit you. It's a joke I was, for a minute. Yeah, I was definitely long-winded when I started, and I would just describe things. And it's, it's stuff's funny to me, but then after a while, I honed into just one-liners that turn into chunks. So there's still yeah. chunks of topics, but they're all one-liners. So it's definitely my favorite as well. Yeah. Um, you do work a little bit of silliness into this whole bit too. Like that's evident in, you know, the dog genealogy in the, uh, getting kidnapped at, at gunpoint and then taken to Trader Joe's. Like you wouldn't even report it. Uh, you drop the charges and, and then you compare it to an Uber ride. Like there's a silliness. I had, I, I'll acknowledge, I'll acknowledge that, that Uber joke. I'm just addicted to it. It hits every mm-hmm. time. I know it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, everybody. I'll do better. Yeah, we like gotta lean into what works. I always worry the Middle Eastern comics judge me, but they don't. I will say the Middle East, all the per, all the Persian and, and Arab and and all the other kinds of Middle Eastern uh, Indian comics. I know Indian, Indians are Middle Eastern. I, I apologize to all my Indian friends. I make that mistake mm-hmm. all the time, and they and they correct me. Um, it's Asian, South Asian, whatever. Uh, but that, I will not. But I've never felt like a hack among them. I, that's that. It's a nice community of because we all kind of have the same, you know. Out, you know. I don't know any brown dude who doesn't have a brown comic, male or female, that doesn't have something about race. You know. Mm-hmm. I feel mm-hmm. like it's funny, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it comes from your experience too. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like, yeah that, so that can't be denied. <laughs> yeah. Right. If you had uh, any advice for a comic uh, who's working on jokes about white people, uh, whether they are white themselves or uh, or they they come from another background, uh, oh man, that's you... a good question. I think it con- it's going to come from crowd work. Okay, I think it's going to be hard for me to materialize how to write jokes about a group of people. That's a really hard piece of advice to give. But my, I guess my general advice to be, if you, I hope you're good at crowd work because that's going to come from host a lot of shows, mm. host as many shows as you can. If you're trying to get good at anything, any any set of material that has to do with 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 that, with a group of people, host. Um, put yourself in a situation where you have to talk to them because a lot of that's just going to come from a solid thing you said once made the room laugh and then you're like well there we go like if you see a group of white like look for that like look for a group of white people sitting together like that's always a really good de-arming mechanism is look at this group because you got the whole group to clap and then everyone looks at them so if you can just think of something to go in you know I mean there's a lot there there's a lot there You you can gingerly do that with any group of people you can gingerly find something I don't know. I'm trying to think of examples of like 
unexpected comics knowing something or or saying something to a group of any race, a group of of Vietnamese comics knowing something about their cuisine or perhaps knowing something about their culture or knowing. I have a friend who's that's his advice. Whenever I do road gigs, he's like, Google the city, find out what the predominant, what the makeup is. Oh, it's 75% Hispanic. Think of something Mm -hmm. like, Think of something cute. Don't think of, you don't need to think of something mean. It just come. I mean, that's a really good way to do it too. Is put yourself out there. Put yourself out there where you're like, I'm doing a show in Dearborn. Oh shit, sixty five percent Chaldean. Let me think of something. Mm-hmm. Like, let me like, what time? At what time of night am I performing? Do we need to? Do we need a break for prayer? Boom. Like they like shit like that. Like, that's a good. I think that's. I mean, I guess that's bad advice. Is get more gigs. <laughs> but I mean, that's just what. That's what it comes down to. I feel like. Is it does come to, from experience. Yeah. Do a gig in Canada and be like, oh shit, it's it's a room that's that's um that's 45% Sikh and in Canada. Now I got two things to talk about. And mm-hmm. then put you know pen to paper and like think about that for an hour the night before the show and be mm-hmm. like, what can I what can what can I do with curry and poutine? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. what can I come up with that's not going to offend any? It's out there. It's people have this defeatist attitude where they're like, I can't do any. Like, I've I've had like white comics come up to me and be like, I can't do any of the stuff you do. Like, you absolutely can. You just have to be kind. You just have to be smart about it. Mm-hmm. It sucks that I get to get away with it easier than you, but them's the breaks. <laughs> that's how. Sometimes right. you eat the bear, and sometimes the bear eats you. You mm-hmm. know, I got yeah. pulled over a lot, in Michigan. Well, now I get to do race jokes. Like, what do you want mm-hmm. from me? Like, I don't like. I was a Middle Eastern kid in, in rural Michigan after nine eleven. I think I'm allowed to make fun of white people easily now. Like, yeah. I earned. <laughs> you know, I'm not trying to say I earned that shit, but I earned that shit. That's a that's a fair point. And again, going back to your experience, or and like focusing it on the cuisine and the culture too. That's that's one way. That's to, easy. Food yeah. and entertainment and. You don't need to talk about driving skill and fucking educate. Like you're an idiot. Like, no, like you don't need to hit. And if you're going to hit religion, you can hit religion kindly. You can hit mm-hmm. these little differences and know something about them. Like have a fact, like have something that will make them go, oh shit, this dude grew up with, you know, people like us. Like, let's yeah. hear him out. Like, I love that you have the 10 commandments, but you know, there's a new iPhone every year. You guys haven't sure. updated once. Sure. Like, I don't know. I mean, that's just one example. It's just like express that you have interest in it, express that you've done your research yeah. and then, and yeah, that's. The, or that's just have interest in it. Even if you haven't done your research, you just want to learn mm-hmm. you have questions, you have questions about what they're wearing, what they're eating, where to go in the city. I want to, a, a good one is where's the best kind. Oh, where are you from? Okay. You're, you're Vietnamese. Where's the best Vietnamese food in town? Boom. Mm-hmm. That's not even a joke. That's just a conversation you have with an audience member. That's going to disarm the room. And maybe someone else disagrees and then you can do crowd. I mean, it's just, you got to make yourself available for crowd work. Mm. And coming from a place of curiosity too, like you can write any bit around Like if you have a genuine curiosity, absolutely. when you're writing. Yeah. yeah. It, I want to learn more about y'all. Like yeah. that's a great way to do it. Yeah. Research okay. is big. I, uh, I recently made a note in my notes to like, Hey, research deeply into everything you talk about because you get so much more material out of yeah, research you find little things you never even knew you were like oh yeah. that's a button right there mm. yeah mm. it just compounds the ability to be creative about that topic yeah 
Okay, now let's flip this. Let's uh, somebody who is uh, offended by. So there's a lot of humor at the expense of white people, and you know now you've got these things like critical race theory that's being blown out of proportion. You've oh, got, sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're attacking whiteness. They're att- you know, why should I feel bad for whatever? I am worried about that. That is something I've been concerned about recently because I've seen it more in audiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they feel they're being attacked due to the media that they consume, and when it's like you know yeah. it's a misperception, sure. But but it happens at comedy people. bar all the time because they get a lot of tourists. Mm-hmm. A lot of the times, not enough for I don't think anyone. It's a great club, one of my favorite. It's my favorite club in the city, but um, they get a lot of tourists. I remember I was in a show there recently, and that's all it took to drive this lady over the edge was a, a black comic doing a joke about white people, and she just why is it like? And I think her point was. And it wasn't a point because it's idiotic, but her point was, I wouldn't be able to say that about you, which if you really think about you personally couldn't do it because you have no tact. You personally do it because you don't, you're not funny. You're not charming. Right. You seem to be an unlike, you seem to be a general, dis, generally, generally disagreeable person. So yeah, yeah you're correct. You personally <laughs> would not be able to make a joke about another person's race. But I can find examples of people who could because they're intelligent and they're likable and they're not mean-spirited and mm-hmm. they didn't ruin a comedy show Boom! because you're, you're mad. That's and then now you're screaming at the management. Like, those things don't go together. Like, it's never like... Those people are just going to suck anyways. Those people are just going to find something to be mad about regardless if it's that. There's always going to yeah. be something. I'm luckily never really experienced a lot of that up I've gotten a lot of passive aggressive. I'll, I'll a manager at a club will be like, "Oh, th- that table hated you," and I'll be like, "Why?" And they'll be like, "Well, your white people shit. They left it on the note card, or they complained to me." Mm-hmm. But I find that I find that when people are mad about that, the kind of people who are mad about it with me never address me. Mm-hmm. I don't right. know if it's because I'm Middle Eastern. I don't know what. They don't know what you're capable of. Okay, I, mean, I don't know really what it is, but I feel like I've never really had to deal with it up front. I've had to deal with passive aggressive shit. Yeah. But I've never I've and I've done very conservative rooms. And they love I can't stress this, you know, they fucking love it. Yeah. It, it's a you individually versus a yeah. you as a group problem. I don't know why. I can't describe it. That's like I, personal, like a personal insecurity. Yeah. It feels like. I also think I'm just, I, I think I give off vibes of just not being me. I don't know. I feel like people don't want to upset me. I don't know. Yeah, because I do have I'm good vibes. on stage. I'm not. I'm a. I'm an anxious, nervous dude off stage. <laughs> but on stage, I feel like the character I play is like warm and huggable and love. You know, so mm. I feel like they don't really want to talk to me after some. Sh- I've never. I very rarely get. It's weird because I think comics who are abrasive will get someone to come up and be like, "I didn't like that joke. I didn't like your act." Because I think they're like, oh, it's okay to do that. Mm-hmm. I think since I'm up there playing this kind of like gentle, warm dude, they're like, I don't really feel like going up to him. And I think I get away with bullshit because of that too. I think just being, you know, fat, right. charming goes a little bit. And, and we talked about it too. I mean, you self-deprecate enough before you get into that stuff where it's very disarming too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. I think if someone ever did actually come up to me and be like, I didn't like that shit. I would address the fact that I just talk about myself more, if not as much. Um, And I think that would be enough. I think that should be enough to 
get him to shut up because it's true. I mean, I don't know what you want from me. Yeah, it's different if you spend the whole set just being like, oh, fucking white people. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. As a, as, a, as a white dude who makes fun of white people all the time, I the luxury I have is that when people have a problem with it, I can just be like, fuck you, and I will flick them. Like, I, like it's one of those... <laughs> I, think it's tougher. I, think it's, I think it's tough for um, white dudes to make white people... Or white ladies, too. I think it's not just dudes in general. I keep saying, speaking in the masculine, I apologize to everybody listening. I don't mean yeah, to do no. it on purpose. Um, I think it's, it's tough for white comics. It, and it's kind of gender, too. Like I've seen, mm-hmm. like a, a a a female comic will make a joke about white women and people will roll their eyes, even though it's a really good joke. Mm-hmm. Same with white dudes. White dudes will go up there and make a joke about, you know, white men, and then people will roll their eyes. Yeah, I don't know why. I haven't really been able to dissect that one. I'm sure there's some kind of fucking sociological shit that goes along with that. Yeah. But I do feel for you guys. When it comes, I'm like, you have to, you have to, there's a hurt. I'm not saying you can't jump over that hurdle, but I feel like there's a hurdle for y'all right it's, now. It's always just become such an easy topic for me to attack because I am, I am white and I can do that. And so I jump right into it. I really go hard on it because yeah. of my position. And, and so, and I, I do make it work because I've had years to like make it more like or more reasonable and fair. But yeah. you're, you're, but you're right. It is a little tougher, I guess, on that end. But then on the criticism end, then I'm just like, "Fuck you! You can't say shit to me." It takes a lot of balls to, yeah. It takes a lot of balls give unwanted criticism, right? I do it because other people can't, like, like, or at least other people would be less comfortable being like, "Fuck you!" If you were Chris, so I take advantage of the fact that I can be like, "No, fuck you! Stop being so weak." Because I, I feel like I'm in that position, just be like, just to to bask in it and be like, "No, fuck you." I want you to to feel a certain way about this. Uh, only only if I'm criticized, because we're obviously not talking about comedy anymore. It's just me being a dick, but like from a good place, from a very reasonable place, from a very, very reasonable fair. place. It's very yeah. reasonable. Like we could talk about this for hours, but like, so that's why I do it because I'm just like you. Really need to have some perspective here yeah. and realize that you know it's harmless at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. It's um, comedy at the end of the day. These are just jokes. Yeah. yeah, these are just jokes. Man. These are jokes. Remember and oftentimes that. real experiences too. So it's like they can't even take that away from me. <laughs> so it's like, all right. Are you gonna get you mad at me more. for how I got through this? Come on. People have a lot to say in the comment section of my videos. So uh, yeah. that's when it gets tough. I don't ex- I never expect because my YouTube was dead for the longest time. And I think one of my clips went like the algorithm of YouTube was just like, let me hook you up. So one mm-hmm. of them got like 600,000 views and then the other one started getting decent amount too, but I was not mentally prepared for the, the comment section. Yeah. It was rude. The weird thing is people don't seem to believe that I'm Middle Eastern because I'm kind of like I'm light skin. Like I'm, <laughs> like, like I'm not a dark dude. So they mm-hmm. like... There were so many comments that were like, this guy's not even Middle Eastern. I'd be like, what do you want from me? Or like people would be like, he doesn't have an accent. I'd be like, oh, I don't have an accent. I don't know. I'm sorry I don't have an accent. I'm not going to freak was it? Yeah. Like, I yeah. Have, you imagine me taking that as like, criticism and be like, you know what? I should fake a Middle Eastern accent. That's really going to help my career out. Where's his <laughs> turban? <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, so, Rob, I really appreciate you joining and, and sharing some of your insights and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and points of view on this topic and uh, kind of breaking down uh, the bit 
Um, where can we find you on social media? And is there anything that you're working on that you would like to? I don't have anything really big to plug. If you're in Chicago, I run a really fun show called the love below comedy show. You can find us on Instagram. Um, and uh, Facebook. Uh, you can watch all my clips on, I po- usually post everything on uh, YouTube, uh, which is just my first and last name. Yeah. And then my Instagram is some fun stuff. It's uh, Sorab is Brown. S O H R A B is Brown. All right. I have a website too where I post uh, dates, sorabisbrown.com. All right. Awesome. Well, uh, I appreciate you joining again and helping us prove that uh, no matter when it comes, if it comes to segregating dogs or Trader Joe's or having too many pockets on your clothes, you can laugh at Mm -hmm. white people. (laughs) (laughs) Wait. Hey, Steve. Yeah. No. (laughs) All right. All right. All right. All right. Cool. Right, he usually sure. asks me if I have anything to say, and I'm always like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Just sum up the whole thing, Steve. Come on. All right. Uh, um, yeah, and podcast. Let's, let's end it right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't laugh at that. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of You Can't Laugh at That. Make sure, if you haven't already, to rate us on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you get your episodes of you can't laugh at that make sure you're subscribed make sure you share with your friends like us and follow us on social media we're at you can't laugh at that on facebook and you can't laugh pod on twitter on instagram you can follow the david horning that is my personal instagram account where i post any things you can't laugh at that that i don't post on facebook or twitter Make sure you join our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash you can't laugh pod. You'll get access to special bonus footage that we cut from the main episode because not, not because it's bad, but because it just doesn't fit the theme of the episode. We want to keep these episodes within an hour and 20 minutes or so. Otherwise, we'd run the light big time. We don't want that. So make sure you join our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash you can't laugh pod. $5 a month gets you access to all the bonus footage. $10 a month gets you access to you can't laugh at you can't laugh at that, which is a series that we will be starting in September of 2021, where we will go back through each one of our episodes and talk about what we've learned and how we've used some of that in our own comedy to prove that you can laugh at that. So, yeah, that's really it. Thanks again for listening to our episode, and we hope that you found a way to laugh at that.